Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Archer World's uh, podcast show. This is uh, Joe Malicote, the owner of Archery World, and I'm with Henry Bass. So this week we're going to be talking about uh, the difference between indoor setups. We're going to kind of go over a few points with you guys, you know, arrow setups, uh, rests, overdraws, you know, doing some torque tuning, different knocks, all that kind of stuff. And hopefully we get into time to be able to get into stabilization, site setups, and, and things like that. We're just going to kind of mainly touch base about the differences between diameters and all the different variables that you could possibly have within one indoor setup. Well, um, so starting out, what I'd like to do is uh, let's talk about arrows first, Henry. That's always uh, one of those big questions on how do you find the right arrow for an indoor target bow. Um, I know you're shooting the PSC Citation. You just got it set up uh, and you started shooting it. Um, I know you're shooting an arrow that you already had pre-built uh, for another bow of theirs, but uh, when you start from um, scratch, what are your considerations? I know the diameter is one of them. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. So I always try to shoot the biggest diameter I can possibly get away with. Um, you know, there's no sense in bringing a knife to a gunfight when everybody's shooting 27s and they're the max legal size for the events. You might as well try to figure out a setup to go with them. Uh, before, a lot of companies only made spine-specific ones. So Gold Tips is a 150. They're a great arrow. I've had a lot of success with them. In, but the problem is, is they might not be compatible 100% for everybody. doesn't mean that they're a bad arrow or a bad choice. just might be something just maybe just a little bit more forgiving out there. Uh, Easton's got the 2712. That's been around for ages. Uh, you know, they were kind of the first ones that really ventured out into that 27 diameter range. Uh, my personal preference is, is Black Eagle. Um, I like how there's different spines as far as what you can choose. So it's really kind of individualized. A lot of people, you know, the fault that I see now is a lot of people will choose the same spine as they're running for their indoor arrow or for their hunting arrows or outdoor arrows and that's not necessarily the correct avenue for a big diameter arrow but i do like it how they do make 500 or 400 spine and 340s 300s in those bigger diameters and so it really allows people to get spine specific uh carbon express is another one that's got a really good 27 diameter with their 27 tanks uh, but, you know, some of these companies just don't have a whole lot of flexibility in the spine. So it makes it a little tough. And then you got to start playing with point weights to really kind of break those spines down to get them to where they're a little bit more forgiving out of the setups. Yeah. And so, like, I personally, I like the, the 27 tanks. I've had a really um, fun time shooting those arrows. I think it's a really high quality arrow. Uh, but I know Black Eagle makes a super great arrow, too. They make probably more spines it seems like than just about anybody the gold tip triple x um, pro uh, that's another good one and then of course easton like you said they've always made a dominant indoor arrow um, and they've stayed with aluminum where that that's always been their meat and potatoes so anybody that shoots for easton or shoots easton knows what i'm talking about uh, and the big thing that a lot of companies have changed is is the ability to change the tip weight uh, to match what you need coming out of your bow uh, so obviously 
if you're a smaller person or smaller frame, whether it's uh, being a, a lady and you have a shorter draw or, or somebody that just has a, a 25 or 26 inch draw, a 27 diameter might not be the best arrow, uh, hence why they make 26 diameters, 25, um, uh, down to 23s for indoor setups. Um, the, um, the thing that I like about that is depending on what you're doing with it, you can choose what's going to be right for you. If you're shooting a, a USA event, you're, you're limited to the diameter that you can shoot. So if you're going to be going to a lot of events that have that in mind, um, you would set up a 23 diameter, I assume, right? Yeah, 9.3 diameter shaft. Um, that's that's 9.3 is right at that feet illegal max. Uh, so it's basically a 23, 12, 23, 15 east. And I, I believe they got now got a 23, 18, which is a little stiffer at that. Uh, Black Eagle's got the PS 23s. Gold tip has the 9.3 max. Uh, Carbon Express has the tank 23s. So pretty much every major manufacturer has got a 23 diameter for that feed illegal tournament base. And so let's break that down a little bit. So I think, you know, we've been doing it for long enough that we just say 23s or 9.3s or whatever. But what we're talking about is when we say a, a 23 to a 27 diameter, what we're talking about is how the industry measured arrows for the longest time, which is in inches. So a 27 is a 2712 from Easton is actually a 2764 of an inch in a diameter for that arrow shaft. That's the outside dimension. Uh, now uh, more companies are starting to talk in millimeters, so that gold tip, that 9.3, is because they sell internationally. So it's compatible with the way that a lot of people outside of the United States think in, in millimeters. So uh, and that in turn has become easier for more people to comprehend and wrap their head around on the diameter of the shaft. Um, so with that being said, um, you like to choose a 27 uh, diameter um, in your shoot Black Eagle. Um, and so let's go over the setup. Now, when you talk about the next thing is going to be spine. When we talk about spine of the arrow, um, describe to the listeners if they've never heard of it before what the spine of an arrow is and how it affects the how it flexes. So, spine of the arrow is something that I, I believe one of the archery, you know, one of the manufacturers that creates the archery standards. I can't remember off the top of my head who determines what what's what you know whether it's ibo or ata or whoever but the way they determine spine is it's a 28 span uh 28 span on a on a 32 inch arrow and they hang a weight off the center of it however many thousands of an inch that particular arrow flexes is the spine of the arrow now you know the misconception of spine is the higher the number the stiffer the arrow well anybody that's been kind of around archery for a little while knows that that's actually the exact opposite so you're looking for that lower number is going to be the stiffer arrow so like when you're talking about a gold tip 150 spine realistically it takes about 90 pounds to get that to spine out correctly based off of these archery software programs same as like the the carbon express it's a 200 spine it takes you know 85 pounds to get that to spine out correctly based off of what these these pre-calculated uh, programs say. Now, um, that being said, 
the companies can logo the shafts however they want. So the spine is a, uh, a measurement that the entire industry uses to determine how that arrow flexes. But if you look at the logo of a Carbon Express arrow, a 450 is actually a stiffer arrow by their logo, but it actually runs about a 305 or 310 spine um, in flex. So you gotta watch when you're buying arrows that you're buying it based off the spine, not based off of the logo. And a lot of people think that's how much the arrow will weigh when you've got it put together. It, it, most of the industry uses the spine as part of their logoing. But Carbon Express is an example of where that's, that's backwards in their logo compared to um, the shaft stiffness. Um, so if you're, if you're confused about that, if you talk to your local shop, um, they're going to uh, confirm what you need and they're going to explain that a little bit more in detail to you. Um, so when you're looking at your, um, your spine, now talk about your specific arrow and how you like it set up. So for me, my specific setup, and, and I ran the same basic setup when I was running gold tips as well, is my arrows are about 29 and three quarters carbon to carbon. And I'm running a 200 grain point. Uh, most manufacturers, they, they run a two, you know, you, they start out at 200 or 150 and you can add add weights to get it up to your desired weight. I've just found that the 200 on a 29 and three quarter inch carbon to carbon is what's worked best for me. And this is after hours and hours and days and days of treacherous back and forth to the arrow saw, getting new arrows because I thought I cut too much off. You know, I've started out at 32 inches with 300 grains all the way down to 25 inches with 150 grains due to an overdraw allowing me to do that. Uh, just after everything all said and done, dust settled, I just figured out that that was the most forgiving setup for me out of my bows at the time. I've played with different setups since then, and I've always just kind of gone back to that same platform. The biggest change that I've personally made in the last three years is I ran nothing but pin knocks for everything, indoors, outdoors, everything. I, I just liked having that, that smaller connection point on the string. As of, you know, a year and a half ago, I went towards a different knock on my indoor setup, and now I'm shooting the Easton Super 3D knocks. I just feel like it brought me an advantage with the different, you know, with the different bows that I've been shooting here recently with the PSEs that I wasn't getting with the pin knocks. All right, so the so the spine of the arrow, if you cut it down shorter, it becomes stiffer. So you have to combat that with adding more point weight to some degree. And there's this imaginary, which is not really imaginary, the uh, talking about the way the arrow flexes when it comes out of the bow. Uh, we all in the industry call that the nodes. You want the arrow on the nodes. Um, so that's what you're saying that you feel like you've achieved by keeping a consistent cut length and you can make that bow shoot that arrow the most consistent and the best coming out of the bow um, so explain what you think the nodes is and I'll uh, I'll, I'll kind of feed into that as much as I can too so the the pretty much the nodes is kind of the frequency of the arrows right there's different ways to test nodes of the arrow the the one that most people do is they'll grab the arrow by the knock and they'll drop the arrow at a certain point and where it f basically bounces the least amount on a hard object so a piece of angle steel or something like that is kind of what what you can do 
basically what that that node does is you want your rest in that kind of general area because that's going to be the first pivot point of that arrow or the basically where it starts to flex um, guys have said in the past that if you got your your rest or your node too far behind your rest that it creates unforgiving setups or too far in front of your rest and they're unshootable setups and this and that um, but the nodes kind of just are the frequency of the arrows kind of what I feel as far as that's concerned um, and I've played around with that a little bit right now if you were to look at my setup my rest would be about right where it would you know say say it would node tune per se so I'm right at that that point where it stops doing the bouncing when you do that drop test so um, that's important because as as you shoot today's bows uh, they're getting faster the cams are getting not more aggressive in the way they feel but they're producing more speed and that puts more force on the arrow so that arrow has got to flex as it comes out of the bow and when you get an ultra stiff arrow like a 27 diameter or 26 diameter and um, you're running 250 to 350 grains up front you know in the point weight um, that's still sometimes shooting 55 or 60 pounds uh, for indoor target still isn't enough to make that arrow flex right so that causes a decent amount of knock travel on the the arrow uh, from the back of it um, so when you get the node set up uh, or you feel like that you're getting it to be as forgiving as you can for you that tends to, to control that being less critical to a lot of shooters but it's always different for every shooter um, so uh, you, you talked about that you like um, a pin knock on most cases uh, but this year you said you're running the the Easton Super 3D knocks yeah um, it gives you a low profile on uh, contact on the string I get what you're saying about the pin knocks I like those when I can use them too because it keeps the the space consistent for me um, so that sometimes I can get away with just adjusting my rest and using the same knock point for moving to an outdoor arrow or to a, like a 23 diameter shaft uh, and and just making a slight adjustment to the rest. Is that what you like about the pin knocks too? Yeah, I just like that it was kind of a universal fit, right? You're running the same knock on everything because a lot of those small outdoor arrows you can't run just a normal plug-and-play knock in them because they're smaller diameter than the actual knock themselves so with a pin knock most of your outdoor arrows are running pin knocks so when you do run one bow for everything the pin knocks were nice because I could literally just make a simple rest adjustment make a side adjustment and then I was good to go I was ready to go into outdoors or or a 23 or anything as far as that that was concerned so when I was traveling to a certain shoot that might have an indoor and an outdoor event then I could just make simple adjustments on the fly and I didn't have to pack two bows and try to save weight with these ridiculous airline baggage fees and stuff like that so yeah so uh, I get uh, I like that using pin knocks for the same purpose on the 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 arrows I'm shooting for indoors right now, I'm not running a pin knock, which is a little unusual for me. But I did find like the regular gold. Um, I'm sorry, the regular Carbon Express knocks uh, seem to work fine. And mostly it's because I just they came in the package and I put them on there to see how they would shoot, and they seem to be shooting good. So I've left them alone. Uh, I was going to get some pin knocks later, and just said had never done it with this current setup uh, with these Tank 27s. Now. 
Let's talk about fletching arrows. Uh, I know uh, we do this uh, often in our shop, and I know a lot of shops do this, and a lot of professional archers do it. And uh, I want to explain to uh, what the difference in helicals may uh, cause to the arrow shaft as it's coming out of the bow, and uh, what we think that may be caused by. So when you shoot a bear shaft out of the bow, and you shoot it at three, six, nine, twelve feet away from the target you're shooting, you're going to notice that arrow starts to rotate regardless of whether there's fletches on it or not. It's going to spin that arrow one direction or the other. It's either going to spin to the right or it's going to spin to the left. And the way you normally tell that's going to happen is you put a paint pen mark uh, that lines up the string um, and that knock to start as a 12 o'clock position. And when you shoot it at three feet, it may rotate to the right or may rotate to the left, um, you know, two or three degrees. And then as you step back, it's going to continue to rotate. You do that to your arrows, I do it to mine, and it makes a pretty big difference on the way the arrow stabilizes coming out of the bow. Explain that. Yeah, big time. So, I don't know, you know, who really came out with it. I heard it from Frank Pearson, and then also heard it from Levi Morgan about eight years ago. And what I started doing after that was actually testing it, and I felt like that there was a beneficial factor to doing that. Um, Basically, what you're what you're looking at doing is, is like you said, you're going to start shooting your bear shaft before you put any fletches on it or any weight towards the back of the arrow outside of the general knock. You're going to shoot that arrow three feet away or five feet away from the bell. Then you're going to start backing up to three yards, five yards, ten yards, all that stuff, and seeing which way that that wants to rotate. Some rotate faster than others. That's why you got to start up close because every you know every bow's different. One, I've had bows at 10 yards that already are doing a full rotation. It's just the way that it ended up working on that particular bow. So what you're, you're, what you're essentially looking for is if you're rotating left, you want to fletch left. If you're rotating right, you want to fletch right. And what the outcome of this is, is you're already keeping the, the natural rotation of the arrow going that general way. You're not trying to offset it and creating kind of a dead space what happens in that dead space is is anytime there is wind or a bad shot or anything like that it just takes the arrow that much more recovery time right and i feel like in the wind if you're fighting it and you got that dead space sometimes you get increased wind drift because of that because you're not spinning that arrow and it's not as aerodynamic as it would be when it is in full rotation so um, so that being said most factory fletched arrows come either slightly offset right or a right helical now we're talking about an indoor setup where you can control that more because typically you're never going to buy fat shaft arrows with fletches on them already you're going to choose who you want to fletch those and how you want them fletched by who makes them so um, I have had most of my bows that I shoot shoot a slight left rotation. I have had some that rotate, like Henry was saying, they rotate almost three quarters of a rotation by the time I step back, uh, only to about 12 feet, um, uh, three yards. So obviously, if you fletch it in that direction, you're putting it on plane faster, and it's already spinning direction, and it doesn't have to. The fletches don't have to fight the rotation of the shaft, so it just makes it spin faster. And everybody knows that helps it stabilize faster. So if it, I have had some bows that it didn't matter if I fletched right or left because
because by the time I got back to uh, five or ten yards, there was so minimal rotation in the, the shaft that it wouldn't affect it one way or the other. Right. Um, and and I think you've noticed that too. So at that point, you do you care if there's very little rotation, or do you always follow that rule? Um, if it's slight rotation, I think you can go either way. Usually, what I'll do is if it, I'll, I'll keep backing up even if I got to get to twenty yards to try to figure out what it actually is doing. And at some point, if it starts wanting to fall more than, than the other, then I'll go that way. But if it's just ever so slightly all the way back, that's when I don't really care and I can fletch either way. Now, like you were saying, the factories typically fletch right. And the reason why they do that is when you're shooting, it actually tightens your fill point versus a left helical. Your fill point always gets loose because it's going opposite of the threads. Well, they're doing it out of simplicity and just keeping it standard and, and that stuff and and this has no correlation to if you're right or left-handed I think this all kind of boils down to which direction your string manufacturer wraps the strings and I also think that there are some bow details wrapped into why an arrow goes left or right the only true way is to just shoot it out of your bow bare shaft and really see neither one of us or any pro shop or any anybody else as that matter is going to be able to tell you it's one of those you have to go physically down to the range or, or in your basement wherever shoot a bear shaft and actually see which way it's rotating and then you can fletch all your arrows that same way all right and I know there's been a lot of guessing about it I'm not even sure as an industry as a whole if we know exactly what causes it there's been everything from the way that carbon arrows wrap to the string build to the deflection of the limbs to the torque management of the cable guard um, i think all of them to some degree come into play because i've had bows that are the same string manufacturers put on there that it rotates an opposite way as the one before um, so i feel like that it's from the limb pocket and the cable guard and the cables being pulled off to the side that cause some kind of slight whip action that causes that to rotate more um, and a bow that I don't see my arrow rotate as much directly out of the factory as is when I shoot prime uh, prime because they're parallel limbs it seems to reduce the torque a little bit more um, and the cable guard doesn't come into play that doesn't mean it doesn't have any mechanical torque they all do but um, that one because the parallel limbs it may be it it makes the the bow react different even though the string twist is the same um are you thinking that it's um the strings i, I think it plays a big play into that and maybe why you don't notice it as much on the strings on the prime is because prime's got the shortest single piece string in the whole entire industry as far as you know what what the actual string length is now their overall string length might still be the same but because they go from two into the split yoke system down into one, they've got that short section. And so it might not show as much as my string that's going to be 50-something inches. Yeah, well, that makes sense, too. So there's a lot of good reasons why the arrow shaft could spin one way or the other. But the point is, is when you're fletching an indoor setup and then even outdoors, which we'll talk about in the spring, too, um, you want to test the sh that arrow shaft and figure out the rotation of it. And if it's a dramatic rotation or it's really spinning one way, you don't want to fight that. 
Um, there's no reason to destabilize an arrow to make it stable again if it's already going to come out pretty stable. Uh, so the uh, now the length of your shaft. Now, when we talk about the length of arrows, we also talk about the 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 overall length of the arrow versus the length of the shaft. The what causes the arrow um, to be affected by spawn the most is the length of the shaft. So when you run your programs whether it's Archer's Advantage or it's uh, um, any other program out there, that it will let you feed in information on how what shaft you've got, from what manufacturer, how long you decide to cut it, how much weight you want to run up front, and then it'll help you decide what you want to do if you're doing this on your own. If you're doing it through your pro shop, a lot of pro shops already have that, uh, that information uh, because they've dealt with it for multiple people on multiple levels and multiple bows, so they can kind of point you in the right direction with that to give you the, the best success out there in the shortest amount of time. Um, that doesn't mean that you won't do like Henry to some degree, which is you're going to go back to the cutter and cut a little bit more off and then try a little different point weight and so on. You want to make sure that you um, have that all figured out before you do the cut and unless you're going to leave them long and you're going to start cutting them back uh, because you can't add it back duct tape will not work or gorilla glue yeah I've, gorilla. Seen, I've seen that too gorilla glue yeah you could probably sand so gorilla glue would probably be a better looking finish <laughs> um, so when we talk about uh, that uh, what length of shaft do you run again so I, I run mine at 29.75 I got a 20 nine and a half to 30 inch draw length depending on the bow this citation I'm running at 30 inches so my arrows at pretty much the front of the riser maybe just in just a little bit but that's just kind of a predetermined length that I found worked best in previous setups so far it's been working really good on this citation so I haven't found a need to really adjust that that's perfect. I mean, that, that saves you a lot of heartache. By going through all that in the beginning of your career, that saves you hours and hours of that on the, I'm going to put it to the next bow and see how it works before I make any major changes. Uh, now, one thing when you're, you're doing your shaft cut length, you want to use a tape measure, and you want to pull a tape and or uh, any kind of other ruler than just sticking in the arrow cutter and cutting it. Um, what a lot of people don't understand about arrow cutters is if they're specifically designed for the industry they have an offset for the knock and it's a generic offset that was back in the day there was only one or two styles of knocks so the throat of the knock was always lined up with the offset of that cutter so it allowed that to match what the shaft cut length would be now you really need to put a tape and get a lead pencil and put a little mark on it where you want it cut and put it in the cutter and cut it exactly on that yeah, just because all the knocks are different lengths now. Uh, you go to a G-knock versus a gold-tip knock versus a uh, Black Eagle knock versus any, anybody else's knock, and they're all the throat lengths and everything are all different lengths now. The ears on the knock are all different lengths. Uh, you go to like an Easton Deep Six knock, that's going to be the shallowest knock. Well, you could have a longer arrow with that knock versus like a regular gold tip knock that's got a, lo a longer throat, well now you're going to have a shorter arrow and you might cut your arrow too short. Well that's so. that's a perfect way to explain it because if you just cut them off the knocks all at 29 inches and you cut a variety of arrows and you just go back and measure the shaft lengths, they're going to vary up to a quarter of an inch depending on what knock was on it when you cut it. 
So if you're really specific and our customers that come in, we, we ask them after they become really determined about a specific length, we dub them and tell them that from now on they are uh, a shaft measurement and they need to make sure they identify that to us because the cutter won't cut that the same way. Um, so if they're a carb, we call it carbon to carbon. So we call them a carbon to carbon customer because we need them to tell us I want a 27 inch carbon to carbon and we write that in our notes so that we make sure we cut it right. Some people just want a 29 inch arrow regardless of where it fits in with the knock that they're they prefer at that time. Yeah, some people just don't care. You know, it, it just kind of depends on the customer base and who who's coming in. Target arrows, you typically need to be a little bit more accurate than your hunting as far as your basic setups. Uh, a lot of times I won't cut any of my arrows with knocks in them because I, once I've cut them, I want to take the G5 ASD tool sand them down and really get them to where they're flush on both sides that way when I'm mounting my fill or my not my fill point but my glue in point and my knock bushing that they're sitting flat on everything that way they're not in there crooked and adding any more tolerances that that are unneeded for a target setup yep and when you get to that that level of shooting and when you become that precise that that arrow squaring devices is, is like it is it is accurate now for 2020 they came out with a new one that is got a longer base and it squares up i think as good if not better than the the old one and i've got the old one that i still continue to use uh, that it works great but um, as soon as i burn that up i'm going to use the the new one just because it has a little bit longer piece and the reason you do that is it flushes or makes the the shaft 90 degrees to whatever you're going to insert whether it's uh, a bushing on the back end where the knot goes or whether it's a point uh, it'll help those connect at and flush to each other so that the point isn't pointing one degree or half a degree downhill or uh, to some angle. Um, the What a lot of people, most people cannot tell whether it's been squared or not, but if it is a question in your mind that it will make the arrow shoot better, it probably will because the mental game of archery is much harder than the actual execution. Um, so I know it's just like, uh, when I was on the rifle team, we hand-loaded our long-range stuff um, uh, forever because it meant so much to us to take that one shot that could be in a windy condition. We needed to make sure that bullet was going in the gun perfect, and it was built perfectly, so there was no question on if we missed why we missed. We we never wanted to blame the equipment, so that's another way to minimize those those issues. Yeah, it puts it more into human error than mechanical error or, or equipment error, so... The, the least amount of equipment possi like equipment failure possibilities you can make it, the better, because then it takes all the excuses out, and now you can start narrowing things down, and that's where you really start working to become a better archer is once you get your equipment 100%, then you start working on getting you 100%. And if you just instill good discipline to make sure everything's perfect to begin with, then, you know, starting out with your arrows, making sure your arrows are all tuned up, squared up, everything's perfect. The veins are sitting on in the same, you know, consistent in the same spot on all of them. You got good knocks. You got everything set up perfect. Now, when you make a miss or something like that, you don't have to go, oh, man, was that my arrow that, that made me miss because my point isn't sitting flat or... Uh, you know, I, I heard a rattle coming from my point or, or from my arrow. Now you can go, 
I legitimately made a bad shot. How do I fix it? All right. So let's um, move back to after we decided which way the arrow's rotating, the arrow shaft's rotating, we're going to flesh that arrow. Let's uh, assume that you're shooting a left helical. Um, how do you know if you want to run feathers or veins on it, and what length and profile do you run? That's kind of a... A lot of that has to deal with personal preference. Now, one thing I will say is if you're dealing with a bow with not a whole lot of cable clearance, you probably just want to fletch with feathers just to eliminate any issues that could potentially be strummed up. Uh, I've ran both in the past. I, I like both. I think they both kind of have their purpose. I forever felt that feathers were more forgiving and some days I, I still feel that, but for the most part, I, I like running veins because I get two years out of a set of arrows without having to refletch them, where veins or feathers I had to refletch seemed like twice every indoor season because they do wear out, you know, because they do collapse and they, they're moving. There's a lot more moving parts there. You'll have sections that just start missing depending on how much you shoot, things like that. So... So they, feathers do require a lot more maintenance to keep them up to snuff, where veins, you can just kind of put them on there. They're good. You won't have any problems. They start falling off or getting crinkled, then you got to replace them. Yeah. Well, for sure, I like feathers when I can shoot them. And I shoot a four-fletch, four-inch feather, um, and that's what I prefer. But I do, you know, after I put them away for indoors and I break them back out the next year, they look a little bit tatered up and I don't want to reflush them. So I start shooting them again, kind of messed up so that I can just start shooting without having to do a lot of work up front. So I like the, and I've shot plastic a lot too. I just feel like the profile for me um, and where I make my mistakes during my shot, the, the feathers tend to be more forgiving for me, although I like the durability of the, the plastic veins, but more. And like you touched base on length, for me personally, I feel like you can never go wrong with having more. You know, so I've always ran anywhere from a four to a five inch vein or feather for indoors just because I'm looking for that extra stability. You're, you're stabilizing an arrow that's, for one, pro not properly spined. So you do need a little extra stability in my mind. And going with that four or five inch vein or feather, in my, my mind, like you said, it's, it's all, all mental. In my mind, that's what brought me to a state where I was okay with what it, with how everything was working. So I like having, you know, a, a four inch vein or a five inch feather or something like that stabilizing my arrow. A lot of guys are okay with two inch veins. I've shot those. I didn't feel like that it brought the stability that I was looking for, but again, I got kind of a different shot style than a lot of people. I would say I'm more active as far as if you've ever seen me shoot. A lot of times it looks like I've just missed the whole target altogether, but that's just because I, I'm a very active shooter in my follow-through and everything. And so I feel like me personally, I need that extra stability because I've got so many other 
things that that are abnormal to the average person and the average shooting style yeah oh i've I've shot with you enough to know that so i usually have to shoot with you behind me because if it's shooting in front of me uh sometimes your movement can make me feel like i've missed it before i even shoot my shot if i'm at full draw so it causes me to get target panic (laughs) oh yeah there's been a couple times where i've either hit people or i've 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 jumped so high i've i've jumped off the ground (laughs) so yeah, but it works. So the nice thing about uh, that is is uh, you put it all together, so no matter what it looks like you did after the shot execution, the arrow's already on its way before that movement actually occurs, although it, you know the average person can't time it out to, to that. But um, So let's talk now about um, um, tip weights. I know we won't have a, a ton of time to go into every single aspect about um, – about an arrow but the tip weight's important to the setup and and it affects the spine but then how these arrow shafts are made affects the spine too and you can turn the knock and we'll talk about that briefly too to to get an arrow that might not fly in the group to to shoot better and tune better um, so when you put your tip weight in there what determines how you're going to set that up so there's kind of multiple aspects of that and i'll kind of jump ahead a little bit to a subject we weren't really maybe didn't have time to talk about today but when I'm choosing point weight it kind of correlates to how that arrow shooting my rest setup as far as I, I like a blade rest so what blade setup I'm running the thickness of the blade that I want to run all that stuff so there's there all these things kind of come come round circle right as far as start to finish a, a full setup and everything so when I'm determining my point weight, what I like to do is, and the only true way I feel like to do it is, is take three arrows, have them set up with a 150, have another three set up with a 200, have another three set up with a 250, have another three set up with a 300. And you spend each week with each one of those. Keep a log book, keep every, track of everything, your scores, how you shot, how you felt. Between one week to the next, you're going to find days that mimic each other as far as how you felt, what you ate that day, all that, all that stuff. And within that, you're going to be able to find out which one was a little bit more forgiving. And then you'll know which one definitely wasn't more forgiving. So it takes about five to six weeks for me to actually figure out what point weight I actually want to run. To a person, that seems like a lot, a lot of time, and they don't want to do that, and they want to expedite the process. But if you're looking at doing, you know, making a livelihood out of this, like I had, and, and stuff like that, really five weeks is nothing. You know, I, I, I would cut my hunting season short just so that I could start figuring some of this stuff out, or start doing it as soon as outdoor season was over. And you know, a lot of people will take a downtime. Well, I. Why everybody was taking a downtime, I was in the club trying to figure out how to get my arrows to shoot better. Uh, you know, arrow lengths kind of play a factor into what point weight you want to run to. So, you know, usually the shorter the arrow length, the more point weight you, you want to run to try to break that down. But then it can kind of contradict itself. And then you start getting into these weird FOC setups that create... A whole nother flex in the arrow and all this stuff so really the the ideal way to do it is to figure out what length you want to run whether you want it long enough that you can flip the arrow up while you're at full draw because it keeps falling off your blade or you you're okay with it being at the front of the riser 
or you want it hanging six inches out in front of your bow because that's just what everybody does and, and that's what you want to do uh, pat once you figured out kind of that length that you want to run then you could sit there and play with point weights that are going to be forgiving for that weight or for that that arrow length so yeah and so well and what i've you know all that is, is perfect to talk about how maybe like an arrow shaft is made to uh, just briefly like a carbon arrow it's built like a climbing rope in a, in a way um, it doesn't have the center of a climbing rope called the kern mantle but it, and so it's hollow so it runs over a mandrel but they're coming and fed off as spools and they're put under intense heat as epoxy essentially is introduced to the shaft as they come up with these different weaves and patterns and they come out um, and get intertwined like a rope is made uh, so as it comes off of that, there's going to be some inconsistencies with carbon and some inconsistencies with temperature and, and glues. So that can make an arrow uh, flex different if the knock is in one position versus the other. So I know right. when you're shooting, your, I've seen you do it a million times. We all do it that are trying to make our arrows fly good. Before you do fletch, you typically shoot your bare shafts out of everything you're going to do to get them to shoot as tight a group as you can at 20 yards, right? Yeah, so that's a whole nother tuning method. And I, so guys that don't have access to shooting machines typically do this. If you got access to a hooter shooter, you can shoot them in. That's kind of a whole nother book of worms down the road. But with, with what you're talking about, I, I learned how to do this with Tim Gillingham back in about 2010. Um, basically what you do is once you kind of figure out what you want to run as far as a full-on setup, you go through paper and you shoot everything through bare shaft and you rotate the knocks until everything shoots a bullet hole. Sometimes it creates a wormhole and you'll get four or five arrows that shoot good and another four or five arrows that shoot good and then you find out that your bow is really not tuned and you're just shooting good to those arrows that were already out of, out of whack. And so you really kind of got to go through, shoot all 12 of them or six, whatever, whatever you're building at the time shoot all of them through paper, rotate the knocks, get them all as close as you can, check your very first arrow again, make sure that it's still shooting a bullet hole, and then you can kind of proceed and get all the rest of them shooting a bullet hole. So you kind of got to bounce back and forth uh, a little bit to get it to actually go the direction that you're wanting it to. And then I uh, know you still take those bare shafts, and you, after you got them as close as you can through paper, you go over and you shoot them at 20 yards too. Um, uh, for for my outdoor setup, I do. You don't for your inside. Okay. Um, the and then you after you've got them there, you've got the knocks where you want it, and you got the arrow shaft tuned to where you feel like it's coming out and harmonically everything's marrying up to the the arrow that you just shot as close as possible. Then you put your fletches on. Yep. So I mark them. So each knock kind of has a, a I call it a thumb groove or whatever you would fill it when you're knocking the arrow. Uh, I always run mine to the left, so always facing towards me so I can feel it on my, basically when I'm putting on my knock on the, on the string, I feel it. When I'm knock tuning, it's just kind of one of those things, I always feel that groove on, the, on my thumb when I'm knocking the arrow. So what I'll do is I'll lay that flat against the surface area and just take a pencil or a silver sharpie or whatever, mark a line down that, and that's where I want my top vein, that cock vein that you would normally have. That's where I want my top vein is because once I've shot all those in, that line should be in the same spot on every single arrow. And so if you're putting a vein there, 
all that's going to do is it's just going to correlate to basically what you would do with shooting everything in through a hooter shooter. You're shooting everything in. You're physically doing it instead of having a machine do it. And now you should see the benefits of shooting everything in downrange at 20 yards. If you don't, then you might have other issues that you need to look at, but at least the arrow aspect of knowing that your arrows are all tuned properly, everything's shooting the same, your arrows are one thing that you could pull off of that and say, it's not my arrow's fault. Right. And then, um, well, and I know almost everybody that shoots indoor archery fletches their arrows all the same color, regardless how many fletches they use. And a big reason for that is because if you do need to turn the knock later, it's not going to throw you off and you're shooting one with the odd vein to the right and all the rest are straight up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and you fletch, I think you still, do you run pink still? Yeah, I run pink for indoors. Yeah. And so, and I, I typically run white and it, um, but it, there, some people run it to contrast with the target they're going to shoot at so they can see it in the dot. Some people um, just pick it because it's their favorite color. Uh, regardless of why, it doesn't matter as long as they all are on there. And you can pick an odd color vein, which is called the cock vein, versus uh, the two other veins, which is called the hen veins. Um, but that's not relevant. The color is not relevant. It's the position of the veins. And then the position specifically of that first vein that you felt like needed to be in a certain location based off of how it shot through paper. Yep. So um, we won't go into um, rest to, today, but we will talk about them on our next episode. And we'll talk about how you can tune that rest, whether you're using a blade rest or a drop away, and uh, how that can help the arrow tune better by positioning that in several different uh, spots too. Um, we hope that this uh, podcast has uh, been beneficial to you and it'll help you as you're starting to shoot indoor target season. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact us at either joe at archeryworld.net or uh, you, you can look us up on Instagram. It's going to be Archery World Pro Shop on Instagram. Facebook page is just Archery World or you can contact me on my personal one, and it's just Henry Bass Archery on Instagram. All right. Hope you guys had a good time, and uh, until then, we'll see you next week. And hopefully um, you're liking what you're hearing, and you can always give us feedback on that. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm.